Well, I'll pose this question to get your, your brains going a little bit this morning. Have you ever thought about all the expectations that people have for you? All right? How much of your life is spent trying to meet the expectations of others? Have you ever thought about that? You know, when I was a kid, there's a lot of days when I, I felt like I was just being bossed around by everyone, right? You're told to, you know, clean your room and take out the garbage and eat your vegetables, be nice to your brother and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and there are times when I wished you know, I could just, you know, do a time warp and suddenly become an adult. Because if I was an adult, well, then nobody would be telling me what to do, right? I wouldn't have to deal with everybody's demands on me anymore. And, and perhaps maybe some of our, our young men and ladies, uh, boys and girls, are, maybe you've had that thought. Do you ever wish that you could, you could just suddenly grow up and be a grown-up? Then people wouldn't tell you what to do, right? At least I'm getting Arianna's noddle of approval there. But you know what? I'd encourage you guys not to get your hopes up because I found that as an adult, I have a whole lot more expectations put on me now than I did as a kid. For example, when you're a grown-up, you're expected to pay your bills. You know, you've got, let's see, the, there's the phone company and the power company and the water company and the cable company and the internet company and the gas company and the credit card company and all those guys, they expect you to pay your bills. And so because of that, you're expected to get a job, right? And of course, that means you have a boss, and he's going to have expectations of you. He's going to expect you to you know, at least show up at work every day. And not only that, he'll expect you to you know, do a good job. He'll expect you to accomplish a certain number of things every day and all that sort of stuff. Your, your boss will have all kinds of expectations for you. And of course, if you get married or even if you're dating, you know, there's a lot of expectations that come with that, right? You've got this girl who she'll expect you to be thoughtful and, and helpful. She'll expect you to spend time with her and take her out on dates and things like that. And of course, I'm speaking from the guy's perspective. Girls, you know, you've got expectations on you as well. Um, there's all kinds of expectations that we have when it comes to, you know, dating and marriage and stuff like that. Actually, when Heather and I were taking our, our premarital counseling before we got married, we were told that one of the, the greatest causes for marital strife is unmet expectations, right? And you guys have probably experienced this in, in your life, right? You, you go into marriage expecting certain things, and then, lo and behold, they don't happen, right? Things don't uh, always play out how you expect them to, and uh, so we have all these unmet expectations. But again, there's all these expectations we have. And then, when you add kids to the mix, well, the expectations increase all the more, right? You're expected to, to change their diapers, uh, to wake up in the middle of the night, to calm their crying. Uh, as they get older, you're expected to to feed them, uh, to buy them clothes. You're expected to take them to you know, ballet and, and music lessons and, and hockey practice and, and all those things. You're expected to love and, and discipline and nurture them as they grow and become adults themselves. And even as grown-ups, though, your family will still have expectations of you, right? Your mom will always expect you to give her a call on her birthday, right? You're always going to be expected to go to, to Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving with all the, the rest of the family. You'll be expected to go to your, your cousin's wedding and your nephew's graduation. All these expectations. The government, the government has expectations of you as well. I mean, first of all, they're, they're going to expect you to pay your taxes, right? They'll expect you to be a, a responsible citizen. 
Uh, they'll expect you to, to obey the laws of the land, right? Not to go through the, the red lights, not to drive 140 kilometers an hour down the highway. And then there's all the other little expectations that our culture has for us that we don't even think about, right? Uh, for example, people expect you to return their call when you, they leave a message for you, right? You're expected to leave a tip for the waiter when you eat out. Uh, you're expected to, to check your email on a regular basis. You're expected to, to carry your phone with you at all times. No, there's just expectations galore. And then if you're a Christian, well, the expectations continue. You're expected to, to go to church each Sunday and to volunteer to, to help out with the, the kids' programs and things like that. You're expected to read your Bible and pray. You're expected to, to live a, a godly life and to avoid sin. We're expected to win our neighbors for Christ and, and to bring good food to the potluck, right? We've just, we could come up with thousands upon thousands of expectations that we have that people put on us. And not, not, not to say that they're all bad. I mean, most of these expectations are, are all good things. But the truth of the matter is we will spend most of our lives trying our best to meet the expectations of other people. You know, that's, that's maybe a little bit depressing, isn't it? But you know what? We just can't do it. We can't possibly meet everyone's expectations of us. You know, eventually we're going to disappoint somebody. or we, we will let people down. It's just inevitable. You know, there's so many expectations on us that we can't possibly meet all those expectations at the same time. Right? I imagine you've probably had times when you're, you're trying to juggle the expectations of your parents, the expectations of your children, the expectations of your boss, the expectations of, of your spouse, and, and all those things, and you just can't do it. Eventually, you know, something's got to give. You can't meet everyone's expectations. You're going to let somebody down. Somebody's going to be disappointed uh, in you. And if that all seems a little bit disheartening to you this morning, well, I do have some good news for you. Uh, you see, at the end of the day, when all is said and done, it doesn't really matter how many of those expectations you met or didn't meet. You know, at the end of your life, it doesn't matter if you didn't meet all the expectations of your mother, believe it or not. It doesn't actually matter if you don't meet all the expectations of your boss. It doesn't even matter if you don't meet all the expectations that you put on yourself. Because at the end of the day, those people aren't the ones that you will stand before and, and have to answer for. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 14, 12 and, and in other passages uh, as well, that each of us will have to answer to God for how we've lived our lives. Uh, it says Romans 14, 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Right? It's God's expectations of us that really matters. You know, we won't answer to our mothers, we won't answer to our bosses, but we will have to answer to God. And so the obvious question then is, well, what does God expect of us? What are his expectations? You know, when we stand before him and we give an account of our life, what's the criteria that God's going to use to determine whether we did well or whether we did poorly? And I think that's a, probably a pretty important question to answer. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to look primarily at a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And this is actually part of a sermon that Moses is giving to the people of Israel shortly before he died. And in the, the chapters leading up to this, uh, Moses spent some time reminding the people of Israel of all the, all the amazing things that God had done for them up to this point. You know, he talks about how he led them out of Egypt, how he, he took them right through the, the Red Sea, uh, and how he provided food and water for them as they wandered through the wilderness, how he made a covenant with them on, on Mount Sinai and, and, and gave them all the laws that they needed to live by, and how, even though they had disobeyed God and rebelled against him, how God had mercy on them and he forgave them and he continued to love them despite their sinfulness. 
And then after going through all these amazing things that God had done for them, uh, Moses poses this question to them. He says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And so that's where we're going to pick it up in Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting at verse 12. But before we do, let's pause here and we'll pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this day. Thanks for this new year that you've allowed us to, to enter into. And, and we probably have a whole lot of expectations of this new year, expectations that we put on ourselves, expectations that others have put on us. But God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, uh, that we would get a, a good grasp of what your expectations for us are and that we might live up to your expectations. Uh, so be with us as we uh, look at your word this morning. Uh, teach us the lessons that we would learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 goes like this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. And he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He alone is your God and the only one who is worthy of your praise. Now that's actually a pretty packed passage there. Uh, and it's a lot of information to try to process at once. So let's see if we can break it down into a few bite-sized pieces. And we'll start by looking at verse 12. Uh, Moses starts off by listing off uh, three things that God required of the Israelites, and I think uh, also of us. He says, what does the Lord require of you? He requires only that you, number one, fear the Lord your God, and number two, live in a way that pleases him, and number three, love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. All right, so in a nutshell, that's what God expects of us. At the end of our life, if we want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant, uh, those are kind of the three things that we need to do. But of course, like most things, it's a lot easier said than done. You know, it makes a great three-point sermon, but what does that even look like in our lives? Well, let's dig a little deeper and we'll see if we can figure out what those things actually mean for you and I. So let's look at the first requirement. We are to fear the Lord our God. Now, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that uh, we are to be afraid of God? That, that we should, you know, cower in the basement in terror of him? You know, are we to view God as this, this judgmental, angry God that, that's ready to smite us the, the moment we sin? Or are we to live in terror of this God whose mighty power and fearful wrath might destroy us at any moment? Well, I don't think that quite fits in with what we read in the rest of scriptures. Uh, for example, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, so it doesn't sound like God wants us to be afraid, per se. So, so how does that work here where God tells us that we're, we're to fear the Lord? 
Well, one of the things that helps me understand what it means to fear the Lord is electricity, all right? I am always very cautious when it comes to electricity. I, I don't like being electrocuted, all right? So anytime I'm doing work in my house with, with wiring or whatever, I, I am checking and double-checking to make sure the breakers and the switches are off. And even then, you know, I'm always just a little bit nervous to touch those bare wires to do whatever because I, I, I have a healthy respect for electricity. I, I've seen what lightning strikes do, right? I, I felt the, the pain of that before. And so, not to say that I'm afraid of electricity. I mean, I use electricity constantly, almost every hour of every day. But I recognize its power. I don't act carelessly around it. And I think that's kind of the attitude that God expects us to have towards him. Uh, not that we are to be uh, frightened of him, but he wants us to, to recognize who he is, to, to respect uh, the 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 power and the authority and the might that he has. Um, Moses kind of makes his point a little further on in verse 17. He says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. You know, God wants us to recognize that he is God, right? Uh, I think probably all of us fall short of understanding what that really means. You know, it's hard for us to grasp this, this concept of this eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, completely good God that, that's out there. It's pretty tough to, to wrap our, our minds around that. You know, we can't understand how there's a living being out there that has always existed and who will always exist. You know, he was never born. Uh, he just has always existed. He was never created. It's hard for us to wrap our brains around that. You know, we can't understand how such a being has just complete and absolute power. I mean, when we think of the atomic bomb, right? How much energy and power is there in one little atom? And yet then you think of, well, God created all the atoms in the world by just saying all the atoms in the billions of stars out there. I mean, that's, that's an incredible amount of power. And God just, he just willed it to happen. He wanted it to happen, and he said, let it be, and, and there it was. I mean, that is incredible power. We can't comprehend that kind of power. You know, God truly is, as, as Moses put it, the great God, the mighty and awesome God. And recognizing that is part of what it means to fear the Lord. It means that we acknowledge that he is God and that we are not. It means that we recognize that he has all the power and all the authority in heaven and on earth. It means that we recognize that he is the standard by which we determine right and wrong. So here's a question for you to, to ponder this morning. Do you fear the Lord? Do you acknowledge him as God? You know, do you acknowledge him as your creator? Do you acknowledge him as the ultimate authority for your life? And really, how you answer that question well, determines the, the rest of your life. I mean, really, there are only two options that you can go with on that one. If you recognize that God is God, well, the only logical course then is to submit your life to him, right? To, to live in obedience to him. If he is the almighty, uh, all-powerful, everlasting God, well, then we would be foolish to do anything but live for him. And that's why I think why uh, the second requirement that Moses listed here is to live in a way that pleases him. You know, if we fear the Lord, clearly we're going to want to live in a way that pleases him. But on the other hand, if we choose not to fear the Lord, if we refuse to acknowledge him as God, well, then the, the next logical course of action is just to 
Do whatever you want, right? To, to make your own rules, set your own expectations. If you don't acknowledge God as God, well, you're free to live however you want. And as that appealing as that may sound at first, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that that road only leads to disaster. Uh, Paul paints a very clear picture for us in Romans 1 and 2 uh, of what that looks like. Uh, describing these people who refuse to acknowledge God as God, uh, Paul writes in Romans 1, 19, says, They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And then jump down to verse 28 to see the results. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. All right, this is what happens when people refuse to acknowledge God as God, when they refuse to fear the Lord. And when people do whatever they want with no God as their authority or their standard, Sin just runs rampant, and we can certainly see that in the world that we live in today. You'd almost think, you know, Paul was describing our world as he writes those last verses. But as bad as that seems, that's not even the worst of it. Uh, Paul continues in chapter 2, if you jump down to chapter 2, verse 5, he says, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. So you can kind of see how this whole issue of whether we choose to fear the Lord or not really determines the course of our entire life, really the course of our eternity. I mean, this is the hinge point. God has given us complete freedom to choose one way or the other. It's our choice to make. But of course, there's another aspect of God at play here as well. Not only is God, you know, the almighty, everlasting God of the universe, but he's also the God of infinite love. While he gives us complete freedom in our choice to acknowledge or fear him or not, uh, he's done everything possible short of dragging us to heaven so that each one of us can have the option of eternal life with him. If you jump back to our, our Deuteronomy passage in verse 14, he, uh, Moses says, Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. And he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. You know, Moses is reminding the people that God is God. He's the almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe. Everything belongs to him. And yet God chose them. 
as the objects of his love. He chose the Israelites out of all the other nations to be his own special people. And what's more, God continues choosing us. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter a little bit later on, uh, probably next week. And one of the Peter's big things that he's talking about is that we are God's chosen people. He has specifically chosen us. Uh, Ephesians tells us that before time began, he loved us and chose us to be part of his family. And this is, this is just incredible that God, this almighty, infinite God, chooses to love us. You know, we talked about how it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the, the power of God. Well, I think it's equally impossible for us to wrap our brains around this idea that that infinite God loves us. I mean, he, he doesn't just put up with us. He doesn't just think we're a, you know, a neat little project that he came up with one day. He actually deeply loves us with, with a deeper love than, than we could ever see or experience here on earth. I mean, imagine that infinite, all-powerful God who, who created us from nothing. He loved us so much so that when he saw how sinful we had become, how our hearts were, were just against him from the day we were born, he knew he'd have to destroy us because of our sinfulness. His justice and his holiness demanded it. But instead of just wiping us off the planet and, and condemning us to an eternity in the lake of fire, that infinite, all-powerful God became human. And we talked about this over the last several weeks as we talk about Christmas. That infinite God became a fragile human baby. And he went on to, to suffer and die on a cross, taking the punishment for, uh, for our sin so that we might have that opportunity to choose forgiveness over death. You know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So have you believed in him? Have you put your faith and your trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin and the promise of eternal life? You know, God loves you like crazy, and he's done everything he can short of dragging you to heaven to give you life. But, of course, it's your choice to make. So will you choose today to fear the Lord, to acknowledge him as God, to acknowledge him as your God? You know, as Moses answers the question, what does the Lord require of you? You know, the last two requirements he lays out for us kind of go hand in hand. You know, once we've made that decision in our heart to fear the Lord, the next steps are, number one, to live in a way that pleases him. And number two, uh, to love him and serve him with all our heart and soul. And I think those things, they automatically flow out of a heart that acknowledges God as God. You know, when we recognize who God is and we recognize the, the power and the authority and, and uh, God's incredible love for us, you know, I think we almost automatically want to please him. Uh, we want to, to love him back and to serve him. You know, on, on the practical side of things, if you're struggling to live a life that's pleasing God, if you're struggling uh, to love and serve him with all your heart, you know, maybe you need to examine how you see God. You know, I, I think the, the, the more we, we see God for who he truly is, the more we want to, to love him and serve him and, and obey him. You know, I think if we truly understood the, the depth of God's love for us, we'd be much less inclined to sin against him. You know, why would we rebel against a God who loves us so much? You know, God wants so much good for us. Living for him should be our, our natural response. You know, all the other things that, that clamor for our attention, all the other demands and the expectations that people put on us, I think they would all fade in their significance compared to our desire to please God and to meet his requirements 
for us. It's kind of like that, that old hymn that maybe you know. Uh, it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, the more we get to know who God really is, the more we're going to want to please him and serve him and love him. And I've certainly found that to be true in my life. The more I understand about how God loves me and how he wants good for me, you know, the more I just want to let him be God in my life. I want to serve him. I want to obey him because uh, I know that his way is his best. He loves me. He wants good for me. And so with that in mind, you know, uh, there's, there's still lots of other expectations that, that people have for me or that I have for myself. But I think I'm, I'm getting more and more down the road where pleasing people isn't my, my greatest priority. Uh, pleasing God is. Meeting his expectations for my life is the most important thing that I can do. And so I want to just encourage you this morning to, to get to know this God. And I know most of you guys have been Christians for just about ever. But there's always, this is an infinite God that we're talking about. I encourage you to keep pursuing getting to know this God. The more we know him, the more we're going to love him, the more we'll want to please him and follow out these requirements that uh, God has laid out for us. So, so read his word. Talk to him in prayer. Invite him to be your God. The more you get to know him, the more you'll want to please and love and serve him. The last two verses of our passage in Deuteronomy says this, You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who's worthy of your praise. And, you know, that's, that's so true. You know, there is no other who's worthy of our praise. No one else that's worthy to be served. No one else that's worthy for us to, to give our lives to. But God is. He alone is God. And so let's acknowledge him as God today. You know, as we go into this new year, there's going to be a million expectations put on us by others, by ourselves, by the people around us. And some of those expectations will meet. Some of those expectations we're going to fail and fall short. But I just want to encourage you today that you, to remember that at the end of the day, uh, there is only one set of expectations that counts, and that's the expectations of your Creator. So let's fear the Lord. Let's, as it says, let's worship Him and cling to Him alone. Let's live this year in a way that pleases and, and honors God. Let's serve Him with all our heart and soul. So let's pray together, and then we'll be dismissed into our week, into our year. Dear God, we thank you so much for revealing yourself to us through your word. Uh, thanks for this little reminder from Moses recorded all those years ago of, of your expectations for us. God, as we go into this year, we know that there's all kinds of expectations waiting for us from, from our family, from our boss, from our spouse, from our kids, from ourselves. But God, at the end of the day, we, we know that even though we fall short of those, uh, those expectations and as we try to balance all those things, Remind us all over again uh, continually that it's really only your expectations of us that count. Uh, we've got this one life to live. Who knows how long that will be? I pray that we would invest our time wisely, getting to know this, this creator uh, of ours that created us from nothing, along with all the universe. And, and then you created us, and you chose us from before time again, and you love us so much. You want so much good for us, but we're so quick to rebel against you and do things our own way. God, I pray that we would not be stubborn, as Moses says here, but we would change our heart, and we would seek you with, with all our heart and soul. We'd, we'd want to live in a way that pleases you, 
because we know at the end of the day, you know, that's really what's best for us. So God, I pray that you would be with us as we go into this week, as we go into this year. Uh, keep these thoughts in the forefront of our minds that we would, we would want to know you, we'd want to love you and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.